0: So, we're looking at the, the miracles of Jesus. We're looking at what they reveal to us about God, about us, about the, the things that disrupt our relationship with God together, and also the only way for any of this to be restored. And, you know, as you read this account from Luke chapter 5, the first thing that might strike you is just how incredibly simple it is sick man meets Jesus, gets healed, miracle. And that's it that is the reading. But if you know the background to this reading, there's so much more is going to be revealed. So well before we get into Luke, let's turn instead to Leviticus 13, our first reading. And if you want to follow along, which I warmly encourage, that's page 91 of the Pew Bibles. So Leviticus context. As Ben just said, it's a a book of the law. And Leviticus governed Uh, the way that the the people would worship and and live out a worship life together. And uh, it speaks, Leviticus, amongst other things, of the holiness of God, and it addresses how it is that a people who fall short of that holiness in the old covenant context could ever have any form of relationship with him and and, and yet uh, remain unholy and yet somehow know God. It governs all of those things. And It also deals with things that might render you ceremonially unclean or or ritually impure and would prevent you from participating in in worship. Uh, For example, uh, discharges of blood or contact with a dead body. These are things that we'll look at in a few weeks. These are things that would defile you and keep you away temporarily from the worship life. There were also contagious things that could happen to you. Things like disease. And that's what we're looking at today. Leviticus 13 45 addresses the very specific problem of the leprous person. Now, leprosy was just a blanket term for a variety of different skin diseases, from very superficial things that would last just a few days, all the way up to, to deep problems that would not just impact the skin, but start to impact the internal organs and eventually bring about even death. And whatever the cause of this leprosy, we know that actually it's a blanket term for multiple conditions. In all cases, Leviticus 13 says this, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip with some kind of Headcloth or, or a veil. So you've got these ragged clothes, fouled hair, and hooded face. Clear signs that something is deeply wrong, or in the alternative, perhaps, that you play in a teenage rock band. It doesn't matter, Phil, that you're the only one laughing, because that joke was actually exclusively for you, anyway. <laughs> so this person who's, who's, who's dressed in this way, very visible signs. I mean, this is almost like the you know, Old Testament equivalent of a high-vis jacket, very visible signs that something is wrong, must also give an audible warning as well. They must cry out, unclean, unclean. Not unwell, unclean. This is an admission, unclean, that your physical sickness is not your only problem. That actually, more significantly, you are ceremonially impure. You are defiled. And if anybody comes near to you, they will be defiled as well. Third, therefore, verse 46, he shall live alone. Now, uh, there are examples of of lepers actually living together in small groups. And there are examples of, of relatives bringing food, for example, out to the leper's Uh, where they they were, and then uh, there are ways to decontaminate after that well relative could then return. But uh, for the most part, being a leper meant living a life on the outside, and you won't have a family, not nearby anyway. You will not have nice things. You will be living off of scraps, off charity. You cannot participate in worship. You are an outcast. And there is a scene in the movie Deadpool, and before you complain, there's a PG-13 version for pastors, and that's the one you need to watch. But uh, I mention this, this movie because there's a condition that, that Deadpool, the anti-hero, has uh, that, that makes him look like a leper. He's got all of these legions on his skin, and uh, as he walks around with the hood, uh, people see through the hood. And as they make eye contact with him, they see the condition of his skin, and, and they start to turn away. They, they, some of them laugh, some of them gasp, some of them step back in, in horror, and just for a few seconds of that ridiculous movie, you, you get a, just a, a glimpse into what it would be like. He follows his old girlfriend through the city and, and, and gives up, leaves her alone, prefers her to think that he 's dead because of the horror of, of what has happened to him. so I want you to imagine the isolation and the shame and the discomfort and the suffering that anyone with this condition would go through. And remember, of course, in their culture that the physical and the spiritual, that's not the only problem they've got, but it brought about theological judgment as well, as some people would assume the cause of this was your sin, that you had done something. We don't know what it was, but you have done something to deserve this. And Scripture tells us that, of course, is not always the case. But it wouldn't stop people from thinking it. If you've suffered with anything at all, if you've suffered with any long-term condition that will not go away, you will know what it is like to say to God, why have you done this to me? Or why will you not take this away? So we have layer upon layer of suffering for anyone with this condition. There's physical, there's spiritual, there's emotional, and it goes around again. There's more spiritual. There's social. So much suffering goes with this condition. And verse 46, like a summary, just brings together this whole panoply of woes. In a few simple words, it says, he is unclean. Not treated as though he were unclean, but ontologically, existentially, he is the disease defines him. The identity of impurity is what he has. That's who he is. Then Leviticus goes on to make it worse and starts to talk about the experience that the identity brought about. It says in verse 46, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now ask yourself, why? Why outside the camp? Well, that's because there's two things going on inside the camp. First, there are the people of God, and you do not want to defile them. Secondly, there is God, and you do not want to profane him. So at this stage in Jewish life, this is before the cross, this is the old covenant, this is very early in the law. God dwelt within a tent, within the tent of meeting, and you could go in and meet with Yahweh himself in there. Later on, as the city is established, as it grows, as the the buildings go up and the temple is constructed, God's presence dwells within the temple itself, a permanent dwelling place. And then to varying extents, one could draw near to or even go into the temple itself. So the people of God would be gathered around the outside of the temple and then some would be brought into the temple court. And then the priest would be allowed to go inside the temple itself, into this holy place. And then once a year upon the the Day of Atonement, the great high priest, after a year of preparation, would be allowed to go beyond the curtain into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of Yahweh himself with veiled face. And the other priests would tie a rope around his waist. And that way, if after all of this preparation he were to die in there from the sheer presence of God himself, they could pull him out on a string instead of going in there themselves and dying with him. God's presence is housed in the Holy of Holies. And the scholar Mark Sayers says to us that uh, it's almost like a a portal between heaven and earth, that uh, just in this one little place, God himself dwells in their midst right there in, in the Holy of Holies. It was a dangerous thing to go in and meet with Yahweh. One minor flaw in the holiest man's preparation, and he would die. So it would be absolutely unthinkable, back it up and think back to this leper, for a man as unclean or woman as unclean as this to go even remotely close to anything near to the outer bits of where Yahweh dwells. Numbers chapter 5, I'll read it for you, verse 3 says this. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. So God is there. The scholar, R.K. Harrison says, his existence was nothing more than a living death. The victim of leprosy knew that his condition would be of lengthy duration, and that its loathsome nature would prohibit significant contact with society. Most of all, the leper would be cut off from spiritual fellowship with the covenant people and in a real sense would be without hope and without God in the world. There's the background. We need all of this. Let's turn now to Luke chapter 5 with all of that in mind. I mean, they knew this stuff. For us, we have to do the revision. So Luke 5, verse 12 While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. So Luke, the physician, wants us to see that this is a very serious case. This is not the three-day leprosy variety. This is the life-changing, organ-breaking, deadly kind that this man has, one that defines and ruins an entire life. And did you see anything wrong in this verse? Now that you are a Levitical scholar, did you see anything up about where he is? Where is he? He's in it. He's in the city. What on earth is he doing there? And some, uh, some scholars have said, well, well he said, he's not really in the city. He's, he's just in the edge. Well, first of all, it doesn't say edge. It says in. And secondly, you weren't allowed in the edge anyway. So this is not scholarship. This is just making stuff up. Read it. And when he saw Jesus, I don't know why they get paid to write these books. We've got a book. Read it. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, we know this is a desperate breach of protocol right here. He risks defiling all of those around him with his very presence. He risks his life. If the high priest is going to croak, what's going to happen to this guy? But his request, I think, gives us our first reveal of many today. Do you see that he doesn't say, take this disease away so that I can be well? He doesn't say, I want a wife, I want a house, I want a job. I want to walk the marketplace, pick up the fruit, sniff it, and choose my own food. He doesn't say, I want clean clothes, or I want a haircut, or a wash. He doesn't say, I want friendship. I want physical touch. I've never had a hug in my entire life. He does not say that. He says, I want to worship. That's what he wants, worship. cleaned. Catharizo. Like that English word, cathartic. Yeah, it means to be purged or purified make me clean. It's not a medical term, it's a theological term. He's asking for restoration to the worship life of the community. And uh, this is a word, katharitza, which, which defines a person or a thing that's been purified and restored and made, and made whole again. And this man, if you think about it, think about where he was for his whole life, has had an entire life of suffering on his own on the edge to come up with a wish list of fantasies. And number one at the top of his dream list is worship. I want to worship. Second thing it reveals, he believes Jesus has the power to enable this. He does not say, Can you do it? He says, Will you? The only thing that could stop me from being restored is your will. Will you? And in verse 13, Jesus says, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Third reveal whatever Jesus wills is. In Genesis, God speaks the world into creation with just a word. Whatever Jesus speaks is. And that's the miracle. Done. Right? It's like the one with the fish. There's barely any commentary at all on the miracle. Like Hardly anything is said about it. All we see from verse 14 is Jesus commands him, go and show yourself to the priest, make an offering as Moses commanded, complete the restoration paperwork, get the stamp in your passport, Levitical stuff, and be on your way, you're fine. Then verse 15 says news spread, and that's all we know. And I guess the fourth reveal, therefore, is just how much of this kind of thing Jesus must have done in order for this amazing thing basically to be little more than a footnote in Luke's gospel. Was it John says, the end of his gospel, says something like, you know, if um, all the books in the world would not be able to contain all of the things that Jesus did. If we wrote them all down, we wouldn't have enough books. Passage done, miracle done. Uh, there's at least three more reveals, however. So first, next reveal, which I think is our fourth or fifth actual reveal, but in my weird way that I prepared my notes, this is the second set, and this is the first of the second, do your own math, whatever, anyway. The first next reveal. I don't know why we're doing it this way. Uh, be a better preacher. I will uh, is the promissory language of God himself. Like God says I will. People don't say I will. Like have you ever, I don't know, had a guy come around to fix the furnace or given your car somewhere or or, or Whatever. Right, what do people say? We say, well, I hope, I might, unless dot, 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 I will. People caveat their promises, but God does not. I will, and we did a whole sermon series on it, is the promissory covenant language of God himself, because only God is able to say, I will, and then do it. So he speaks like God, and he acts like God. And you see that the man calls Jesus, Lord, now, Lord is, is one of those big words It can mean all sorts of things. It can mean sovereign, it can mean sir, it isn't honorific for a boss, but uh, most commonly it does mean God. And if you couple this word Lord, which is a title for God, with his belief that whatever Jesus wills is, and his posture down on the ground in worship, I think we have a lot of clues to tell us that this man believes that he knows who Jesus really is. It reveals that Jesus is God. Again, do you notice that Jesus does not rebuke him for this? doesn't say, hang on a minute. What are you talking about? Blasphemy on top of leprosy. Get away from me. Lightning bolt coming, pow!" Instead, what he does is Jesus answers the prayer. Who alone is it that can answer prayers? It must be God. Next, Reveal. If Jesus really is God, then this miracle is about to get even wilder still. Because that means that the leper hasn't just come into the city in the presence of people. He has come into the temple in the presence of God. Not just the temple complex, those outer courts. And not just the middle temple, the holy places. But he's come into the very presence of God himself. And now I want you to zoom in on the picture even closer. There's just a few words in this passage, so we get all of the detail. I want you to picture the scene. Jesus is standing up because the man's at his feet. And the man approaches Jesus, which he should not do. And then it says that uh, keeping his distance, he stops and he goes to the ground and he fell on his face. So Jesus is standing, there's a gap, and the man with leprosy is on his face, on the ground. So this is like when the, when the police are in a threatening situation. And what do they say? they say? They say, get on the ground. And they're starting to back up. And they're starting to go for their sidearm, right? Get on the ground. Why do they do this? To control the situation, to minimize the threats. This man who has done something so very wrong has stopped short and minimized the threat himself. Given Jesus some element of additional control over this situation. It's very easy now for Jesus to govern what is going on and, as is proper, back away and get his friends away from the danger. But Jesus does not do that. Verse 13. Jesus draws near. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, a teacher of the law would know, absolutely, you do not do this. But closing up that distance, Jesus approaches him. So this man, to use that temple image, stops just short of going into the holy of holies, the very, very bit where one must not go. And then the holy of holies comes out to him. This points to everything that Jesus is about. You know, he's on the cross. The temple curtain is torn in two. And God's dwelling is with man, not in one specific place of one specific building. This is a pre-echo of what Jesus is all about. God is coming out and into you. God is closing up that gap that used to kill you. And now it's bringing life. Next, reveal. Notice it's not disease that gets transmitted, it's purity. It's God's holiness that gets transmitted to this man of shame. And notice that it's not judgment he finds when he comes into this place that should kill you. It is grace. It's healing and it's restoration. The miracle reveals the central hope of the Christian faith. It proclaims the gospel, that we have fallen short, that we are in our natural state, alienated from god and defiled by our sin and yet god is coming out breaking all of the rules approaching us and restoring us to himself with a touch it's amazing we're saved not because of our works not because of our preparation not because of our deservedness or our goodness but because of his alone last reveal and when I say last, it's the last one I could count. There are, there are going to be more. But the last one I could come up with, which is item, I think, 3-1-I on my second list of miracles uh, and reveals. Anyway, whatever. Do your own counting. Uh, what is it, last reveal, that drove this guy to such an extraordinary move, do you think? You can tell me. Like, if you had to ascribe to him one motive for what he's doing... What would you say was the driving factor behind this crazy move? You know, yeah, did you say desperate? That's, that's, it's correct because that's what I wrote. Yeah, desperate. I mean, people have said, this is good. People have said things, you know, uh, faith, that's a really good one uh, as well. Um, but, but desperation, I think, was what I was going for there because there are many things. And uh, as a pastor, I would just let you know that actually, Often it is at our lowest points when great restoration tends to occur. And uh, desperation often precedes a miracle. So I've seen some. I've seen a man victimized at work, off sick, at his wit's end, uh, getting ready for suicide, slowly restored by the healing power of the Holy Spirit, To his work, Uh, he's now married, has a baby, and he's gainfully employed. And that's a sort of turnaround. You might not say it's a miracle. You might just say it's absolutely amazing. And one not short. But I loved seeing it. I've seen real miracles. I've seen a woman pregnant with twins at 20 weeks, standing outside the maternity ward of a hospital, crying because the consultant gynecologist had told her, there is nothing we can do to save your babies. She was having contractions. She asked me to pray. The contraction stopped. The babies went to full term, and they're now uh, 11-year-old babies. Uh, our women's group was, uh, they know a patient uh, of one doctor who, who uh, had the serious open wound on her stomach, infected, and, and, and the, the medic said, there's nothing we can do for this infection. The women's group started to fast. They started to pray. Uh, as a group, they prayed and fasted for several weeks. To the amazement of her medical team, the wound closed up. And she was healed. Miracles happen. But the miracles, you need to know this, are not the main event. Even though we're doing a whole series on miracles, the miracles are not the main event. Jesus is the main event. And often, what these miracles reveal is that it is desperation that drives us to seek his help. It is desperation that precedes grace. So often it is. In our first few months here, the kids uh, and I were invited in the parish hall to the Alcoholics Anonymous Barbecue up here at church. And so we came along and, you know, the kids were very little. They didn't really know uh, who these people were or what was going on. We had some food. We had some conversation. And my kids said to me, completely unaware of what kind of night this was, uh, just knowing where they were, what building they were in, Daddy... Why is this church party so much more fun than all the usual ones? (laughs) Why do you think? Why do you think? I just want to say to you, if this is your lowest point, right now, like this morning, and you've come to church at your lowest point, this is the thing that God wants to reveal to you. The healer is coming out to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I just thank you so much for the utter beauty, <clears throat> sophistication, and and joy of the rich tapestry that we get to see in front of us with all these threads, that, that you so knew what you were doing, Lord Jesus, and we sit in our rooms with our books and we try and see one more little glimpse, but we, we still don't even see the whole thing. So Lord God, if if there's yet more to be revealed in this miracle, please do that work in our hearts. And Lord Jesus Christ, if in particular any of us is that man, if any of us is, is on the edge, is ashamed, has suffered judgment, has, has felt alienated from you, and, and dares just to breach protocol and just to, to come a bit closer, Lord Jesus, please continue to draw near and touch us.